Let's open up our Bibles. And the title of my message is very simple. They usually are. Christ, our healer. Turn with me to the epistle of James, the very last chapter, where we're going to read at the 13th verse through the 18th verse, where the Bible says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. We can stop there at the 18th verse for context. On the subject of Christ, our healer. Now, what I would like to do is to share with you a couple of the things that I've mentioned in passing that science is providing us for, at least from my own point of view, that not only corroborates what the Bible says on a couple of subjects, but in particular, it brings us, at least it brings me, into this book here for the truth of it. John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, there is a series of books written over the years, beginning in the mid-70s, by a Harvard professor, cardiologist, who I think I've mentioned him to you before. He has since passed away just a couple of years ago by the name of Herbert Benson, who uh, ironically was born in Yonkers. But he was... um, long-tenured professor at Harvard Medical School. And in the mid-70s, he discovered a physiological principle. This has nothing to do with spirituality. He discovered a physiological principle in the very same room that Dr. Walter B. Cannon discovered the fight-or-flight response. So you know what that is. The body is getting prepared for something that it perceives as dangerous. You're going to have a flow of adrenaline, noradrenaline, things like that, stress hormones, to either fight or run. Walter Buchanan discovered that. Herbert Benson, years later, discovered something that is the polar extreme, opposite, is that the body also has the ability to relax, promoting further healing, calmness of the mind, and so on. I want to just read to you one small passage from one of his books, It's called the Relaxation Revolution, the Science and Genetics, that's a key word here, genetics of mind-body healing. Keeping in mind, I'm not talking about spirituality. This is going to lead us to this. He wrote, but now a new era has dawned as various research teams, including those we have mobilized at Massachusetts General Hospital and Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and the Harvard Medical School have used the scientific method, method rather, to disprove these long-standing misconceptions. And the context there is he was talking about what some would call the placebo effect and what some would say that we don't need some of these 
um, practices that he's introducing that have worked, and certainly we're going to go into the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about that. For example, he said, our own current research at Harvard, published in 2000, July 2008 in the peer-reviewed online journal of the Public Library of Science, shows, conclu listen, shows conclusively that the mind can indeed influence the body down to the genetic level. Your mind can actually change the way your body functions for good or ill. This finding effectively does away with Descartes' mind, body, a separation. A little explanation there. Descartes, René Descartes, the philosopher, taught and believed that the mind and the body are totally separate. One has nothing to do with the other. And he here is saying that this is how modern medicine is practiced, which a lot of us know. You have a sickness, it's a pill. You have a sickness, it's a procedure. And there's nothing wrong with those things. What he is saying that there's certain things that we've discovered about the mind itself. The brain and the mind are two different things. He uses mind that can affect the body and affect genetic changes. Not changing your genetics, but changing the way your genetics express themselves. So if you were told as I was, why was I having open heart surgery on every single occasion? There was no exception. It's your genetics. It's your heritage. It's your parents, all this. This is all I ever heard. And I believed it until I kept reading and reading and Here's the proof. Our recent genetics research provides an excellent springboard to launch an exciting exploration of how the science of mind-body healing, the third great option for medical treatment, is resuming its rightful equal place next to prescription drugs and surgery. In our research into the power of mind-body healing, it would be difficult to find a more dramatic example that disproves the Cartesian divide, right, Descartes' belief, that the discovery that you can consciously, quote, switch on, end quote, healthful genetic expression. You may not be able to change your genes per se, right, your DNA, but you can use your mind to change your genetic activity. And with that altered activity, you can enhance your potential for healing and good health. Just get just a little bit here to wet your beak on what I do when I research. Now, these things, honestly, I just fell upon them. What I'm about to read to you, I just happened to come across them and made the connections in my own mind. I'm going to read you another study, too, on a different subject. That they're saying now, scientists are saying, well, yeah, you were born with a genetic propensity towards heart disease and diabetes and whatever. It could be cancer. But that does not mean it's a fatal sentence that we have discovered on the mind-body level, that the mind can affect the body so that the genes are either switched on or off changing how your body expresses itself for better or worse. As a man thinks in his heart, right? We see this in Proverbs. So is he. That's number one. On a whole separate subject, as I was reading, and as you know, I'm a prolific reader, I was reading and studying on nutrition, specifically on uh, nutrition for heart disease. And it occurred to me some years ago that in changing up my diet, that Whatever, this is how I thought of it. I didn't read a book. I just said, well, whatever God made would be good. So that led me to uh, complex carbohydrates such as vegetables, fruits, then grains and all of this. What I didn't know is there had been now close to over 70 years of solid research done on this type of a diet. Low in fat, actually even lower in protein and very high in natural things that God makes. The professor I want to quote now is Dr. T. Colin Campbell, and he wrote a book, too long to explain, would take up the whole time that I have here, and I don't want to do that. But the name of the book is The China Study, 
the most comprehensive study of nutrition ever conducted, and the startling implications for diet, weight loss, and long-term health. T. Colin Campbell is a professor emeritus at Cornell, and his son also is a medical doctor, Thomas Campbell, Jr. And he writes these words, I have been in, quote, the system for almost 60 years, now it will be over 70, often at the very highest levels, designing and directing large research projects, deciding which research gets funded, and translating massive amounts of scientific research into national expert panel reports. So this is not a small player. This is not just a guy who owns a health food store. This guy's way up there. After a long career in research, policymaking, and lecturing to a wide variety of public and professional audiences, I now understand why Americans are so confused. As a taxpayer who foots the bill for research and health policy in America, you deserve to know that many of the common notions you have been told about food, health, and disease are wrong. Synthetic chemicals in the environment and in your food, as problematic as they may be, are not the main cause of cancer. The genes that, now here's the part I want you to hear, the genes that you inherit from your parents, listen, are not the most important factors in determining whether you fall prey to any of the 10 leading causes of diseases. And he goes over multiple sclerosis, cancer, heart disease, many diseases to be corrected by diet. The hope that genetic research, again, this is what I want you to hear, the hope that genetic research will eventually lead to drug cures for diseases ignores more powerful solutions that can be employed today. Obsessively controlling your intake of any one nutrient, such as carbohydrates, fat, cholesterol, or omega-3 fats, will not result in long-term health. Vitamins and nutrient supplements do not give you long-term protection against diseases. Drugs and surgery don't cure the diseases that kill most Americans. Your doctor probably does not know what you need to do to be the healthiest you can be. Now this is a very involved book, very ponderous, kind of deep, but a good study. And what I wanted to share with this, here's Dr. Herbert Benson over here saying, we have discovered how the mind, just the mind alone, can affect the body and give you more control over whether those genes are switched on for the worse or those genes are turned off for the better. And in T. Colin Campbell's research, two totally different sciences, he came to the same conclusion through diet, the one that he advocates. I find this interesting because as we're going to talk about healing, science is providing us with evidence that there is more to the story than we're being told, even by those who give us whatever they really do know. But man's knowledge is limited. Lean not to thine own understanding, the Bible says, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. We have all these things. For instance, Dr. Jordan Peterson, some of you may have heard him or seen him speak, a well-known psychologist who, uh, he's very big on the circuit, whether it's a TED Talk or being a guest speaker. He's Canadian. But I saw him give a lecture on the incredible amount of, and what his, that is not his research, he was just repeating what someone else has done. Over 65,000 cross-references in the Bible of how it refers to one another, the Bible refers to itself. And we've always been taught, I mean teach, that the Bible is a self-interpretive book. It interprets itself. And there he come up with this graph. It's very, very interesting. Again, he's not the first one to advocate it. He just came along and repeated it. But he's a well-known figure in the world of counseling and motivational speaking. Interesting times that we live in. I want to give you one more, just one more, from a totally different field of physics, which we have talked about this before. I have presented this to you before. 
It's the research of Dr. Abraham Loeb, or Avi Loeb, who was the head of the physics, astrophysics department in Harvard, and he wrote a book. Now listen to the title of the book. This is an internationally known and respected astrophysicist. So again, he's not just the guy, um, forgive me, forgive the term. He's not just some you know, redneck talking about over the campfire about seeing UFOs. He's well-respected. He's well-respected in the community internationally as a astrophysicist. His book is called Extra, Extra Rather Terrestrial, listen, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. That's coming from a high-profile physicist, and he writes this in his book. Personally, I do not enjoy science fiction when it violates the laws of physics. I like science and I like fiction, but only when they are honest without pretensions. Personally, I worry that sensationalized depictions of aliens have led to a popular and scientific culture in which it is acceptable to laugh off. Now listen to what he's saying. It's acceptable to laugh off many serious discussions of alien life when the evidence clearly indicates that this is a topic worthy of discussion. Indeed, one that we ought to be discussing now more than ever. Are we the only intelligent life in the universe? Science fiction narratives have prepared us to expect that the answer is no and that it will arrive with a bang. Scientific narratives tend to avoid the question entirely. The result is that humans are woefully ill-prepared, listen, for an encounter with an extraterrestrial counterpart. After the credits roll and we leave the movie theater and look up at the night sky, the contrast is jarring. Above us, we see mostly empty, seemingly lifeless space, but appearances can be deceiving. And for our own good, remember who this, who's speaking here. He's Israeli-born, he's Jewish, but he was born in Israel and taught here for many years. But appearances can be deceiving, and for our own good, we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived any longer. Now, the statements that I'm reading to you on nutrition, on the mind affecting the body, and here on a whole different subject altogether in the realm of physics, astrophysics, are coming from well-regarded people. And the reason that I'm giving to what may seem to you a kind of a disjointed introduction to this message is to say, as I heard Dr. Hugh Ross, who's also a physicist, but he happens to be a Christian, saying that hundreds and hundreds of discoveries that have been made in time have come out of the Bible. I didn't take the time to listen to the whole lecture that he gave, but I've read some of his books as well. What I'm saying is this. Science, some scientists in the realm of study of the mind, study of the brain, study of nutrition, study of physics, and so on and so forth, are beginning or continuing to give more corroboration to the veracity, the truth of this book on every single page of it. So when I introduce now the subject of Christ our healer, we want to leave off what Abraham Loeb said, Avi Loeb said, and not just look at it from a standpoint of, I believe that. You see, one of the things that Herbert Benson discovered is that people are likely to get better with the very simple, by the way, very simple procedures that he's come up with over the years. People are likely to get better if they expect to get better. And that's science. Herbert Benson was raised in an Orthodox Jewish family. Their family became reformed, and I think at near the end of his life, he became a conservative, conservative Jew. He's Jewish, but he's very open. And he also talks much about spirituality, that he said we cannot examine spirituality. That's what we're going to do, because we don't have any way to really measure that. We cannot discount. So coming from a conservative Jew, Herbert Benson, 
who did much research on the way the mind affects the body and much research uh, that this is true at the genetic and molecular level. So whether you're talking about stroke or cancer or whatever else, Harvard scientists like Herbert Benson and others, and then we have Avi Loeb talking about the sky and that we're, we're getting ready to meet aliens, which you may say, well, why did you introduce that? Because the Bible talks about them. Not so much chariot of the gods and all these things, angels, devils, spiritual beings that we can't see. And I'm not really sure someone who's acclimated towards science would have an objection to that because you can't see the waves that are coming from your Bluetooth that are operating from your watch to your tablet or to your phone and all these things. We cannot see x-rays, but they exist. When we come to Christ, our healer, we have to be convinced that, number one, he actually is a healer, that what we're about to read actually occurred. Number two, we have got to make a decision for ourselves that what we read in James chapter 5, let me read it again, and he's sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. That's not the only way to receive healing, obviously. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. That's what the word saved means in that context. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Which, let's face it, which we really see in even the best of churches or the churches that promote healing, uh, that practice it. When we exclude all the con artists that are just manipulating people and just doing circus tricks, we have to be convinced that this is actually going to happen in our bodies. Because if we're not, then we're not really as astute as the scientists are that are studying things. For instance, Avi Loeb, we know that Elijah was taken up in the chariot of fire. What was it? The Bible doesn't say, so I don't know. And you don't know. And I'm not going to read volumes of books of people who say they do know because they don't know. But we do know that Elijah saw Elijah go up in some type of material thing called the chariot of fire and disappear. It's in the book. By the way, this is the reason so many people, atheists, and not just atheists, but others, intellectuals, have had problems with the Bible, because it sounds mythological. Yet science keeps coming up close into the things that are written in the Bible, but cannot touch the spirituality. So I'll ask you today, no need to answer. You may want to hear the scriptures first. You really believe that the things that are written in the Bible, is 31,106 verses, are true. That you can be delivered from your fears, you can be delivered from sicknesses and illnesses. You're going to eventually die, as the old saying goes, God heals every sickness except the last one. You're going to die from something, and yet if Christ don't come, you're definitely going to die. But then Jesus said, but even if he lives and believes on me, he will never die. Context is the spirit, soul leaves the body, is with the Lord until reunited with the body. This is all good news. It definitely should be the foundation for the times we live in, for our lives, to undergird us in all of our difficulties, and all of our struggles. So <clears throat> with that in mind, let's just talk briefly about the healing ministry of Jesus, just accenting the obvious. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And listen, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people, all types of sickness, all types of diseases, many I'm sure of what we would know today with names on them, but here there's no names. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers, different diseases and torments. Notice the word torment. And those that were possessed with devils, and that's another subject we're not going to deal with today. Not everyone who's mentally ill, just to give you a clue of what I'm referring to, is demon-possessed. Not every time you go through some peculiar, odd, strange thing is a devil involved. But they are involved on occasion. How many occasions, we don't know. But enough that we should recognize them 
And those that had the palsy, he healed them. We read in Psalm 103, verse 3, that he forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. Old Testament, New Testament. Jeremiah cried out, Save me, Lord, and I shall be saved. Heal me, Lord, and I shall be healed. Let me go back to this. Herbert Benson deals with it at length, and he's not touching the Bible as much. He will quote from it once in a while. But he was a conservative Jew and a scientist, and I think he's just a good man and a good scientist, cardiologist, by the way, who happened to be a professor at Harvard. And he talks about the power of expectation that has to be included with what I will loosely call meditation. We have biblical meditation, meditating in the Bible, the Word of God, deep breathing and stretching your muscles, which we've done in athletics, is not the same as yoga. Yoga is a big thing nowadays, and people are swearing by it, how it's done a lot of things. But not all of them realize that yoga is an integral part of Hinduism, and that what is happening is on a physiological level, not a spiritual level. In other words, I stretch every day, and I do a lot of deep breathing, because the number one nutrient for your body is oxygen, not water. Oxygen first. You can only live a few minutes, well, less than a few minutes without oxygen and so on. So what, what's happening here is that we're looking at two verses, one from the Old Testament and then Jesus' ministry, that he healed every manner of sickness, every manner of disease, dispossessed those that were demon-possessed, and on and on. What you have to decide is if you believe this is true, that's number one, and number two, whether that can happen for you by the Lord. When I'm asking people to pray for me, as it's now in the bulletin in my family, I'm expecting God to answer I'm not hoping that they answer the way we use hope. Hope and faith are intricately connected biblically, but not the way we use it. I hope it works. That's not how I look at prayer, and that's not how you should look at prayer or God. Our hope is that it's going to happen when we're inside the confines of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, when the even was come, evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. So now we have even further elucidation of demon possession. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Two different things. Demon possession and sickness. Verse 17. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Direct quote from Isaiah 53. Now just briefly, I just want to let you know, for some of you who don't know, there are good brethren out there who teach that healing is not for today. This was done by Jesus to show people he was God and, and so on and so forth. And that is, in my mind, a huge misconception. Jesus healed the sick because the book says he had compassion on the sick. And when we read in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday, today, and forever, and we still have people who are sick, then we still have a Christ who is a healer of physical diseases, of mental diseases, and obviously spiritual diseases. And sometimes, and don't get me wrong on this here, we talk so much about the healing of the spirit, which is obviously the most important thing, salvation, that we miss out on the benefits, right? 103rd Psalm, forget not all of his benefits, that in addition to us meeting Christ in eternity and having eternal life and spending eternity with God in his place, we call it heaven, the Bible calls it heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, we forget that there's benefits here and now. And that is a decision you have to make. Does the Lord strengthen you? Does the Lord uphold you? Does the Lord protect you? As we said here before when we sang that great hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. Is he faithful? Again, I'm going to suggest to you that you'll find his faithfulness more so in little things than in big things. 
Because once again, big things, you know, they're easy to notice because they're big, they're dramatic. But if you look for the little things, you're going to find out that God's been more faithful to you than you understood. In Matthew chapter 10, at verse 7, the orders given to the apostles was, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In verse 8 it says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Matthew chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus was saying, The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Chapter 15 of Matthew, verse 30. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Verse 31, same chapter, Matthew 15. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Brief, and most of you are already acquainted with these scriptures. We could read Mark, we could read John, we could read Luke, and we could read through the book of Acts to see that the apostles carried out the ministry of Jesus. And I want to just finish this one thought. To those good brethren who say it's not for today, in my opinion, they have reasons that are not biblical, which they claim to be biblicists. They just say, well, you know, history this, and they give reasons that the scriptures do not. Point being, Christ, who was a healer, still is a healer. It's up for us to express, as Jesus requires, for us to have faith, to believe that's going to happen to me. And that's what everything, as you know, that's what everything hinges on concerning this book. Do you believe, Jesus said, that I can do this? One man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's a struggle that we all have. We want to believe it. We want to believe that these things are true. But then we struggle with these intrusive thoughts that contradict the word of God. Fear is one of them. That's a big thing that I talk to you about a lot. Fear comes into the mind. Another one that causes a lot of doubt, and you can look in the scriptures for this reference too. There's people healed in the book of Acts as well who were sick 30, 40 years. And when Jesus came along, he healed them. My point there is that because you've been sick for a long time does not mean God's arm is now shortened because it's too late. Oftentimes we read that if we catch a disease early enough, it can be treated and it can. Modern medicine has done us a great service in many ways. But then there are those who say this cannot be healed. And there are plenty of people who have disproved the prognosis that they were going to die. And I'll say this truthfully, even without giving credit to God, who ultimately holds all of our blessings, everybody's blessing. They prove through some of the things that Benson and others have written about, certain principles that exist, God-given principles. Remember, he causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Two farmers next to each other, one who's righteous, one who's unrighteous, plant corn, they both grow. So we cannot X out the right side and make a dichotomy that is so unbiblical that we say God blesses the righteous, but he curses the wicked which is true as time goes on, number one, or in the end, definitely. But as we read here in Ezekiel, or we read in Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's what God said. So we have this comparison. The Bible is self-interpretive, that God is good to all, although there's limits, of course, on how much God will tolerate. And we know that from history, biblical and otherwise. The question, so is this, do you believe it personally, that when you pray, God is going to hear you? 
I'm not going to talk about sinless perfectionism as some have preached, meaning you can live totally perfect without sin. I'm, I'm really not certain that that exists. We all sin, fall short of the glory of God, but we still have a God who continually heals. We look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. That pretty much settles the issue for me. Don't sin, but if you do, we have an advocate with the Father. We have these things for us. To say that Christians never get sick is where I want to go now is not true. How do I know that? Well, we just read the verse, verse 14. Is any sick among you? They were Christians. If it was the case that Christians never get sick, then we wouldn't need verse 14. We wouldn't need prayer. We wouldn't need to anoint with oil people who believe in Christ. Christians get sick. Christians get depressed. Christians are fearful and so on. But we don't have to stay there. We don't have to concede to it. We don't have to give in to it. We must fight the good fight of faith against what's coming against our minds and our bodies, our families, and so on, and expect God to deliver. So let me go through this with you today in James chapter 5, the protocol for healing as we read it here. Number one, as I just said, Christians do get sick. So again, amongst either the purveyors of hyperfaith, if they are serious, then of course, not to mention the hucksters, con artists, and charlatans who are just conning people with the statement that if you had real faith, you wouldn't be sick. Christian science is another. You're not in pain, you just think you're in pain. And I believe that the way to handle that is to ask a man who believes that to put his hand out and just whack him with a ball-peen hammer. And when his bones are crushed, tell him, you're not in pain, just think you're in pain. <laughs> Young man was going past, an older man who was a Christian science practitioner, and the older man asked the young boy, how's your uncle? Knew him. He was a friend. He said, well, he's sick. He says, not really sick. He thinks he's sick. Came by a couple of days later, asked him, how's your uncle doing now? He says, well, he's, he's still sick. He says, not sick. He just thinks he's sick. Came by the third time to ask the young man how the uncle was doing. He said, how is your uncle? He said, well, now he thinks he's dead. <laughs> Christians get sick. Don't feel guilty about the fact that you've contracted something, whether it's really bad diagnosis or the common flu. But we have recourse to go to Christ, who is risen from the dead. He still has his eyes and his ears open unto our cry, that we can go to him and be strengthened, healed, and delivered, and have our needs provided. Just keep in mind that many of the principles of scriptures have a condition. How many Christians walk around, they never have enough. I'm talking about the financial end of it now. I don't ask people, ordinarily, once in a while, on occasion maybe, I don't ask people too, too much, unless it's a counseling situation. I ask them, do they tithe? Well, you know, I wish I could. But there's the problem. There's no real trust in the God of the universe. And as Avi Loeb said, just look up in the sky. Look at the power of God upholding all these generations. And he can't supply for you, but he said, I want you to trust me. Bring me the tithe, bring me the offering. If some preachers have an objection with that doctrine, so fine. We'll go to the book of Acts where they brought everything. Their lands, their houses, everything sold it. Usually people will go back to the tithe and the offering. And we come before God and believe that God will supply all of our needs based on the principle. He loves a cheerful giver. And the whole Bible is filled with these type of conditions. If my people, Second Chronicles 7.14, which the speaker of the house is now talking about. This is a good sign, by the way. Mike Johnson. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear, if and then. It's a rule of logic. Number two, call in the elders. It is a presumption that the elders have more faith than the people who are below them. It is not always true, and we know that by experience as well. 
But I want to just add that it is not necessary always to call the elders because sometimes you're in a position or in a place where you can't. But we had a woman years ago, young woman at the time, younger at the time, who had two very degenerate discs in her lower back. They caused her a tremendous amount of pain. One day she was going to pick up one of her children out of the car. I already knew what she probably did is leaned in in the wrong way. When she pulled the child out with the baby here at arm's length, the discs slipped out, started pressing up against the central nervous system, causing all types of pain to radiate down her back and so on. She came into the church back in the days when I had staff and in tears and in so much pain. She quoted this verse. She said, the Bible says, for sick and so on, call for the elders and I'm coming here. And she was a regular member of our church. And I came out of my office and we had a couple of pastors there. And I said, yeah, sure, we're going to pray. But I said, but it's on your part to believe. So we pray, we all believe, but you have to believe. I said, I believe. We anointed her with oil, laid hands on her. She left. The pain started to subside. She went back to the doctor who took the original MRI or CAT scan, whatever it was. And there was a, just a, change, a dramatic change in the spinal column. The doctor's answer to her was, the woman in this x-ray, CAT scan, MRI, whatever it was, and the woman in this one is not the same woman. Now, he knew that it was. There was a dramatic change in the body. Well, that's why I pointed out Herbert Benson. They're discovering things that the body can do. And I'm just saying, and I always say to you, how much more should we be able to do with Christ? <laughs> these things should be more normal for us than the scientist who falls upon these things, which I believe God gave them the wisdom, or some of these other things I've quoted. God gave them the wisdom because the people who are supposed to be experts in the field, including the Bible, don't always have the truth or don't know it. But I'm telling you that Jesus is a healer. Christians do get sick, number one. This woman called for the elders. We prayed for her and there was a change. And over the years, we've seen a lot of dramatic changes in diagnoses for the better after prayer was offered. So, you know, for me, it's easy to get in touch with me. You send me an email, you send me a text, I begin to pray. If it's something where you say you want more prayer, as I often do with you in an email, then we have the church praying. But this is one principle because it's based on the presumption that elders are actually growing in the faith. So in other words, you can't go to someone for relief from anxiety, anxiety attacks, who themselves have been all their lifetime subject to them and have never overcome them or learned anything about them. So I'm just saying that the elder is supposed to be ahead of the people in the church. Number three, anoint with oil. The symbol of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, there's no power in olive oil. Olive oil, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have this down here. To anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. A symbol of God's Spirit who hovered over the, well, at that time, just empty space. Then over the globe and the waters and all of these things as we read in Genesis chapter 1. He's still God, still a healer, still able to deliver you. And God is not only able but willing to protect his own in the midst of disaster. As we read it in Psalm 91, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it will not come near you. But that, again, is predicated upon you are playing by the rules. If you're violating the rules, that promise has no effect. But as we follow the Lord, and again, I introduced sinless perfectionism. We don't do it perfectly, but we must do it with a perfect heart. In other words, we fail, but not for the lack of an effort. So think about this. A thousand will fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you, in Psalm 91. 
Is that true or not? We have to believe it, but we must expect that that's going to happen. Somehow, some way. By the way, as God directs your paths, you make a plan. I've made thousands of plans, and I find it going like this. And I'm saying to myself, this is not the plan. And if I'm listening with a calm mind, God says, it's my plan. Go this way. Don't go that way. Looks good. The end is not. Go this way, which don't look good. But in the end, that's where the blessing is. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He tells us which way to go. He introduces into our lives, as I went through this with you last week, some things that are difficult and rough. But in the end, the blessing is there as we get stronger in faith and we grow in faith. So that we're not just saying we believe in it, we actually believe in it. At verse 15, it says the prayer of faith, not just prayer, but the prayer of faith shall save or heal, which is what it means, shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Now, that presumably that would be off a bed of affliction, but we do know the dead were raised also. The prayer of faith. Faith is connected to hope. I'll show you how now. As we pray, we are expecting the person to get well. Yourself, somebody else. We're expecting a good report. Now, you know, especially those of you who have been sick, many of us in this room have been sick with something serious, including myself, that one of the battles that you face is fear. And all kinds of thoughts can go through your head. It depends on how much fear has been left over from the past. In any case, our expectation is what is called hope in the Bible. We're expecting this person to get well. We're expecting this person to get better. The prayer of faith, anointed with oil, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. The devil will torment you to no end to think that there is some lack of sufficiency in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you have to know your Bible to know why did Jesus have to die and why did blood have to be shown or shed rather. Leviticus 17:11. I have given to you the blood to make an atonement upon the altar for your souls. The problem that we have as we grow older in the Lord sometimes is we get inoculated to these truths and they don't seem to mean as much to us as they should. So you got to keep this fresh in your mind all the time. The blood of Jesus Christ. So we read from Matthew a connection between the 53rd chapter of Isaiah that mentions this here, the atonement, and a fulfillment as Jesus is healing the sick. Again, there's many good brethren that object to the healing being in the atonement, and I do think some have made more of it than the Bible does. However, it is in Isaiah 53, as quoted in Matthew chapter 8. He's the healer. He is the one who heals us of our infirmities, of our sicknesses, of our diseases. And it does not mean Christians never get sick. You can go to certain churches where there's a hyper faith. You can't even tell people that you're sick because that's a wrong confession. It's not a wrong confession. I'm telling the truth. And to go around, here's a story. We had a man in our church in the Bronx who, I forget why, but he was missing one leg. And he had a prosthesis. Then in the course of time, he just took off the prosthesis and he hopped, literally hopped, no crutches on one leg. When asked as to why he was doing this, he says, because I'm trusting God to grow my leg. And of course, I'm not going to interfere with faith, a man's faith on that count. But in my own opinion, it's just an opinion, it seemed to be excessive. And then one day, I discovered something about him. We had a building fund at the time. We were a small church. You know, we didn't have a ton of money. And through the years, we never have. But God has always supplied. And we had a little thermometer there, as churches do, to show how much we're raising. It was to build the parsonage, a place for my wife and family to live, my wife and I. One day he came in hopping in on his one leg. And he said, you know, pastor, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, 
if you, meaning me, would give me what's in the building fund so I can get a van, he's going to be an evangelist, he told me. He said, God will bless you. Now then I was younger, <clears throat> maybe not as bold as I would be today, but in my head I'm saying, I'm already blessed. We have money in the building fund. But I made up some reason that, no, I'm not giving you the building fund. See, that's the hyper-faith. Again, I'm not faulting a man for believing that God could grow his leg. I mean, that's faith in God, from my point of view. But now we find that there was something else inside of him that was a bit excessive, or just simply wrong. Give me the church's money, that's what he was saying, and God will bless you. I was raised in New York. I've been conned in New York, I've been conned up here, as you know. A lot of con artists, they know exactly what to say to people with Bibles, especially preachers. And so we don't want to be an extremist, just biblically oriented. If you get sick, it's not a bad confession, whatever that, well, I know what it means. I've studied it for years, but you can say, hey, I'm sick, pray for me. And don't get caught up with the magical formulas that words that come out of your mouth have this mysterious power. They do have power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So that's a true principle, but taken to extremes, it means you can't even report that you're sick, and you don't want to do that. Prayer and faith, the forgiveness of sins, quickly, once again, you must believe that you are forgiven of your own sins. There is no deliverance from looking at yourself. I'm not good enough. That's true. I had another young man, well, young at the time, who came in my office and went through a long speech about how unworthy he was and no good he was, and he was still on drugs, and he came to church, and he had a lot of things. I'm not good enough, and I'm not worthy enough, and I'm all this and that. And when he finished, I said, I agree, you're not. Because see, he was expecting me to say, oh, don't talk like that. You know, oh, no, don't say that you're no good. You're a good man. Instead, I said to him, yeah, you're right. You aren't. You aren't any good. I said, but neither am I. And that's the whole message of the gospel, that we're not worthy of the grace that we have. We're not worthy of the salvation that we possess. No one is worthy. But if you keep looking at your unworthiness, you'll discount the blood of Christ. And it'll have no effect. Very little. I'm going to say no effect, because you're going to still say it's the blood plus it's the blood plus. It's not the blood plus. It's the blood of Christ has cleansed you from every sin. Amen. That's faith. Amen. Every sin. And it's interesting to me that it's included here in the prayer of faith. That it's comprehensive policy. That God says, are you sick? Well, look at the elders lay hands on the sick. They will recover. And if there's been sins committed, they'll be forgiven as well. Which proves, number two, that Christians can and do sin. But we must not sin willfully. God says, don't do it. Well, I think, no, it's the book says, the Bible says, you find this all the time. It is written as the scripture says and so on. This is something that needs to be done more in Christian churches, which we find in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another. I think I told you recently, two most difficult words for a lot of people, and then three words for many, many people to say, number one, I'm sorry. The second one is like it. I was wrong. I cannot for the life of me understand what's so difficult about saying you were wrong, other than you see yourself as never being wrong. That's a delusion. We're all wrong at times. We all offend at times. And that calls for an apology that says, I'm sorry. And the other calls for humility, which says, I was wrong. And so in verse 16, it says, confess your faults one to another. We don't have a priesthood here that one and only one has the power to absolve sins. The one that has the power to absolve sins is him, is Jesus. But I would suggest, strongly suggest, that if you're going to confide something very personal, you find someone who is confidential. 
I have told you that when you say something to someone and say, look, do not tell anybody, that's a guarantee. Within a week, everyone's going to know. Because that same person will say to somebody, listen, Pastor Ray told me this, but don't tell anybody. Now we got two people. <laughs> then it just spreads, just like the proverbial cancer. However, there are people who are closed mouth, and you can trust them. And I'm just telling you, I'm not soliciting myself to you. I'm just telling you, hopefully as your pastor, you would know I'm confidential. I don't spread it around. I'm not going to make a sermon illustration out of you. That's wrong. It's been done. It's just horribly wrong. You got to find someone. Doesn't always mean me, uh, you know, a preacher. Confide in someone. Your faults. You're an angry person or bitter. If you're a bitter person, you better admit it and begin to work away from it. Because if you don't, it will not only defile you, it will defile people in the church. It starts to defile people around you. It spreads. Anger spreads. Fear spreads. Remember in the Old Testament, an order had to be given before they went out to war. How many of you are fearful? Now go home. We have this in the church today. People are always talking about what's on the news. But I'm telling you, I watch very little news. Do I know what's happening in Israel? Yep. Do I know who Hamas is and what's going on? Yeah. I just don't look for every single detail because I don't want my mind constantly preoccupied with things other than what this book says. And that's how I do it. So be careful who you confide in. But find someone that you can confide in. Whatever you're struggling with. Anxiety, you can start with that. Very quickly. It's a shame in this day and age, with all the advances that we've made, that the stigma of anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and then we'll just, I'll just loosely call things mental illness. If you have a panic attack, it doesn't mean you're mentally ill. But it comes under this mental health umbrella. And you can't talk about it. First of all, if you're a guy, it's unmanly to even admit that you have a fear. And I'm telling you, the book says no. The book says no to confess those things that your weaknesses, but find someone who's confidential. And why? Look at it. That you may be healed at the end of verse 16. And pray for one another that you may be healed. One of the reasons I believe that people are not being healed is found right there. We're harboring things, fears, anxieties, depressions, other things. You were brought up in a so-called faith church where they wouldn't permit you to even talk about your illness. Well, how are we going to pray for something we don't know about? How can we make a positive affirmation of faith when we don't know what's troubling you? No, you can't. But more than that, we're carrying around things we shouldn't, and I'll name them again. The Bible tells us to put away bitterness, anger, fear, and uh, other things as well, envy, and so on. And if you're really struggling with it, find that person you can confide in that will pray with you and pray for you so that you can be healed. Because if you read the works, if some of you decide to read the works of Dr. Herbert Benson and many others, you're going to find a direct association between sickness and fear and sickness and anger. And when it comes to mental health, once again, anger and fear are the two cousins, twins, that are the worst thing that you could do to add to your anxieties, your anxiety attacks, your panic attacks, your weird sensations, your impulses, and all that. The worst thing you could add there is anger and fear. And once again, the Bible was way up ahead of it because it's God's book, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. One of the Greek words used there is energeo, where we get our English word for energy. Tesla did this experiment with people the energy that's put out from our bodies and from our brains, and I won't go through the experiment that he did, but he proved it. Proved that you could actually feel energy coming from the human body, the human being, when you provoked him emotionally. Well, the Bible is way up ahead of it, way up ahead of it. Tesla discovered something after inquiry. The Bible announces it. Why would you want to abandon this book? 
It's way ahead of science. It's way ahead of psychology, psychiatry. It's way ahead of everything because it's God's book. And I think the only way you could actually know that is by experience. That it happens again and again and again. You're tested and you're tried. And you're in dark places in the valley of the shadow of death. And all these things and you're up against it. But you keep trusting God. He comes through. You're up against it. He comes through, comes through, comes through. Now you have experience. Now you can say, as we like to say, I know that 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 I know Christ is Lord. Amen. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Though I like to say it's God that avails through this type of prayer. This may not seem to be connected, but I want to share with you anyway. Because it is something that we deal with, or some of us deal with, which is isolation. I don't know how many of you here today actually feel isolated, though you're connected to a group, obviously a church group, but there's other groups, maybe your family or friends that you have. Yet at times you can still feel very lonely, even when you're in a group. Isolation is a bit different, but hear me out. The closer you draw to Christ, the more you'll be set apart. Even from those who are dedicated to Christ, but are just not willing to go to the lengths that you are to know him and the power of his resurrection. But here's the thing. Someone has written that when God wants to make a man great, obviously it's man or woman, and really use them, he isolates them. He brings them to a place of seclusion where he teaches and he instructs. And I'll give you what someone has written on that subject. God chooses his people and protects them by isolating them. Once you understand this, you'll stop trying to force certain situations to happen in your life. You'll develop more faith and trust in your path. The isolation journey has taught me to let go, detach, and be present. A lot of wisdom in that there. We all here today have got to decide for ourselves what we believe. If someone, for whatever reason, is circling the drain, and for whatever reason has decided they're going to continue to circle the drain, detach. Do not let them take you down the drain with them. Doesn't mean you have to leave them physically always, especially if you're in a situation where it's a family member or even a church member. Just don't let their unbelief and negativity and all of this affect your life. For me right now in my life, I'm focusing as much as possible. I just unsubscribe to a score of things that I once subscribed to over the years. They just build up. And systematically, I've just been uns I don't want anything to distract me from what I've got to do here with the rest of my life, with a few years. Here, I'll give you this one too. No extra cost while I'm now working overtime. The Roman Caesar general philosopher Marcus Aurelius said something that I've told you that I came up with on my own. Didn't get it from him, but he obviously had the same thought. He said, lay down and pretend you're dead. Then get up and live out the rest of your life. My way of looking at it for many years is I see the tombstone. It's got my name on it. I'm going to die. But what will I do between here and there? He said, well, I'm kind of old. But then use the few days you have left. Use the few months you have left. It is never too late to be the person God intended you to be, no matter how much time has been lost. Christ is our healer, and we go to him for healing of the mind. Well, first the spirit, most importantly the spirit, and of our minds, our mental health, and of our bodies as well as our physical health. Let's not let science get up ahead of us. Let's go along with the science, that's fine. But we got the book, we got the Bible. We must believe it. I know that Every week, every single week, we come here, you're up against it. Sometimes you're relieved and the other person's up against it. But there's always some few people or many people that are up against it in life every time we meet. 
It's this and it's that. It's your work, it's your home, it's both. It's your body, it's all three, and so on. That God's arm is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not deaf that it cannot hear. And only you can decide what kind of faith you're going to have. Great faith, little faith, no faith. You must decide that. So as we're praying, why don't we believe God in the areas where we need to believe God and strengthen our faith? It's going to be a struggle. It's going to take time. But this is the era in which we must trust God. We must believe God. We're not left, well, in my opinion, we're not left with too many choices. And in my mind, that's a good thing. So I don't have to think so much about choices. Trust God all the way. And prove it by the way you behave and by the way you act. Most importantly, the way you think. Father, we come before you today. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would continue to increase our faith. So that these are not just verses we read that sound very good and sound encouraging. And they are encouraging. But that we would see your power in this generation. That we would see you work in our bodies as well as our minds. And you've already worked on our spirits. You've saved us. Help us, Lord God, today to see your power in the sanctuary, as your book says. And to see you work miracles. Heal the sick. Deliver the oppressed. Help us. We bless you, Lord. On your way out. We should have a sign. Some churches do. You are now entering your mission field. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. Just tell people what you do know. My early years, I just talked about what God did for me. My testimony over and over again. Go out and tell people what God has done. And let's do our work of evangelism. Father, we bless you and we praise you. We expect to hear reports from this prayer right here. How you healed the sick and delivered the oppressed. Thank you today, Lord Father God, that you are still the healer. Help us to go out and tell others in our own way by your leading about Jesus. Remind us to love one another and to love you with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.